I don't think we should be using pace or raw numbers as a, as a measure of this person is, is, is publishing too much. Rather than actually judging the speed or the quantity, let's look at the quality of the papers. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana. I'm from the University of Oslo and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. James, did you know that yesterday was Thank You Patrons Day? Whoa, I thought yesterday was International Men's Day. I think it was a lot of days yesterday. Well, when, we, when, when this is released, it won't be International Men's Day anymore. It's just one of those, uh, it's one of those stereotypical things, isn't it, where you have these dickless lunatics on the internet who are like, why don't men get a day? And then you, you and then you don't hear a peep out of them when it actually comes around and there's people talking about uh, suicide and, you know, uh, di- you know, dangerous jobs and social isolation and you don't hear anything about that. They just wait till it's Women's Day and then they go, then they go for it. What about me? <laughs> So a bit of a uh, so battle it was of the hashtags. Ah, uh, yeah, you're gonna get that. Welcome to 2019, almost 2020. Shit, then. Yeah, um, so that. it was Patrons Day. What yeah. happens then? I did see that one skipped me by completely. Yeah, it's it's basically a day where people give a shout out to to their patrons who are supporting their work, and uh, we gave a shout out as well um, to. I, th- I think we're now we're over a hundred patrons, James, which is uh, oh, it warms, it warms the old heart. Um, don't, but yeah. don't don't people who give us money to do this have excellent taste, Daniel? They do. They do. We should do a whole episode <laughs> on what nice people they are. We could do that. Actually, think- um, what, instead of instead of being utterly gratuitous, as much as that's kind of my jam, um, why don't you tell everyone what we've actually been doing with it? Because we don't always announce the utility of of what has to happen. Mm. You know, yeah. Uh, well, we first thing is is new equipment. So we've been upgrading our equipment, our microphones, uh, what we record on. Um, we're able to get a second microphone. So now, whenever we do a guest recording, like we did with Fiona, we're actually able to um, have our guests in uh, good, decent microphones. Um, yep. Editing it means we can. It means we can do good quality face to face, and helps you with the editing as well because it's um it's a uh, single single tracking. The shit that's coming in. Oh, it makes it so much easier. And the reason that we now have video promo is that you've got uh you've got video capture stuff. Yeah. That it, works straight out of web chat. Yeah. It's it's uh it, it works it works incredibly it works incredibly well. Um yeah, uh so video capture, um editing all the software that actually does the editing as well makes it a lot easier. Um it's I think so one day much easier. He used to complain so much, you have no idea. No, it's oh, worth it. Oh James. Oh me feelings. Oh, I don't like working for a living. Um please please immediately send biscuits and tea. On and on it would go in the in the middle of the night, in the morning, randomly through the day. What? Actually he's never complained about it at all. I made all that up. I, I'm going to post a before and after of what it actually sounds like because um, even if you have the nice equipment, um, without editing, you get all these terrible mouth noises, um, background hums, all this kind of stuff. So, I might actually release a before and after so you can actually see the difference and how much we're saving your ears by, by having this editing. Yeah. And I should add, in the interest of full disclosure, I should add that makes a much bigger difference to me than it does to you with your fancy head. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I can actually do proper microphone technique. I just often don't because I'm a shit person. No, because it, it's yeah. Look, this is the the, the there's a, a demand point. You have to really think about it unless you're a pro. Yeah. Um. And yeah. The, the the easiest way around to make sure that it's not total ass that's going into everyone's head. Uh, is software, mm. which we now have, which is why we're so damn pretty. It works. And so well. you did that. You did that. Patrons of the world, our patrons, and not 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 to mention our hosting. Our podcast hosting is not free. Uh, I think one of the one of the awesome things I like about po- podcasting is that it's it's quite independent. In that you know, when it comes to blogging, when it comes to social media, you are reliant on the platform. You have no idea what the platform is going to do um, with with your work, and at the same time. Um, when you're at the mercy of the platform, you're also at the mercy of algorithms. Um, I, I had a, a really interesting chat with someone, and I, I was talking about the, the, the benefits of, of, of Twitter um, for, for research, and they made a really interesting point in that, well, we're really just, even if you're sharing your research, you're still a slave to the algorithm, and things that are divisive, things that make people angry are going to rise to the top. So, in, in an ideal world, the best quality posts, whatever that means, will be the ones that rise to the top. But because we're slaves to the algorithm, people are going to be incentivized to do stuff which fire up other people, um, which is which was a really good point. But the good thing with um, podcasts, because the metrics are so bad, all we have is an idea of how many people are actually listening from episode to episode, which is handy. We know where in the world you are, which is also good. Yeah, of course. Um, but essentially, if if the publishers had their way, they would they would have so many metrics for podcasts exactly when I mean some podcast platforms are already doing this some subscription platforms and they actually tell you they tell the the the, the, the podcast publishers oh people at the five minute marks they're dropping off and by doing that it's going to change how people do podcasts so I'm actually glad that things are independent but in all in order for actually for things to stay independent um, you need to pay for hosting. Um, and uh, thanks to all our patrons, we can actually do that. And we can have a website and all that other good stuff. But we're, we're not here to talk about our patrons as much as we love them. Um, we're here to talk about a, a recent paper um, which came out a, a few days ago from uh, Uta Frith. And uh, this was on – it's a shortage paper in Trends in Cognitive Sciences. And this was talking about the concept of slow science – um, I, I think this is one of those things we may have discussed in passing in a previous episode. Um, it must but, have come up somewhere, surely. Yeah, I mean, because it's sort of, uh, it, it's one of those things which is, uh, affects a lot of the issues that, that that we're talking about. But I think um, it, it's it's a two page um, two page article, so it's a very quick read. But it does raise some very interesting questions about this idea of slow science and. The fact that um, because we're incentivizing uh, quality, uh, quantity of of, of quality, um, this is one of those things which has contributed to the reproducibility crisis. Um, we're having poor quality studies, and, and not to mention the effects of uh, on mental health. If people are driving themselves crazy to publish all these papers, then there are the, the, these other effects as well. So we want to talk a little bit about this idea on on slow science. So I, I wanted to get your your thoughts your your thoughts first, James. Oh, great! No pressure. No pressure. Yeah. So this 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 enormous uh, issue that has been kicking around since the end of time. Now, someone who's infinitely more senior than I'll probably <laughs> ever be has expressed an opinion on. It. Now I'm here to set the world to rights. I mean, there's, I've, I've had moods in my life where that would suit very well, Dan, but this is, oh, man, this is complicated. This is complicated the whole way down. Um, 
I think if you write a paper like this and you're Frith, do you, you know who that is, by yeah, the way? Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, people who are listening might not know who it is, Dan. She's a – oh, Jesus. Um, I don't know if there's anyone who's more senior in autism research, maybe Baron Cohen. She's super, super famous. Uh, she has papers from, I don't know if the 70s, maybe the 80s and the 90s that are, I'd be surprised if there were like five to 10,000 citations. Super well-known, super well-respected researcher. And not known for being full of shit. Yeah? Known for being, you know, a, a person of discerning taste. Can we say that? So... The paper itself is about, well, the, the, the principles of slow science. And there's a few little bits that I think are worth reading, actually. Um, is, is, is that all right? You're not yeah. going to get too bored, Daniel? No, it's, it's a short paper, so I think this is good. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll leave, leave aside the Charlie Chaplin reference for, for, younger, for younger listeners in case they think it's Hitler. Same facial hair. Okay. So, over the past 50 years, 50 years, gangster, I have experienced increasing pressure to speed up and increased increasing means of doing so. I used to be amazed that by a click of a button you can analyze data. Now I'm amazed that you can collect data by a click. Hmm. Syntax isn't amazing. Uh, perhaps the m most staggering, though, is the relentless increase in the number of papers published each year. Some of this increases simply because there are more researchers, but individual researchers have also dramatically increased their output. Okay. Um, fast science leads to cunning corners and al has almost certainly contributed to the reproducibility crisis. As you said, there are helpful recommendations to remedy the failings, but by themselves they can both... Uh, they, they can add to both work and information overload. Truly, we need to ask ourselves, what good does the glut of fast-appearing publications do for science, swelled perhaps in future by reports of null results and replication failures? That's a very dicey point. On and on it goes. The most provocative of my suggestions, I, of course I skipped to that one. Dramatically restrict first the number of grants anyone can hold at one time and second to restrict the number of papers anyone can publish per year. This Personally, is... I would aim for just one. Impossible, not necessarily. Funders and institutions as well as publishers would be vital to help regulate an initially voluntary triage to a prearranged number. Um, yeah. Goes on to draw an analogy to Grand Cru vineyards. Um, that's a relevant cultural touchstone for the kids there, Daniel. The youth. Yep. Everyone's drinking those. I, I certainly am. I have a whole fridge full of the grandest of crews. Gr <laughs> Look. So, it's this, this fits well within the tradition of chaos in the brickyard from yeah. 1963. 1963. <whistles> this is a very, very well-trodden series of arguments. And it's interesting to see someone this senior making this kind of contribution to yeah. it. Um, 
I mean, because a, a lot of the time I feel like we expect ideologues and, you know, people who have the audacity to think they can change the global edifice of scientific publishing to, to be the ones making these points. But, you know, this woman has earned her stripes. Yeah. You know, she's taken some, because she's been in her 70s, I guess. Shit. Um, You know, and uh, still writing. Incidentally, of course, is that the next thing that we can uh, point out uh, is that um, she probably has published something earlier this year making uh, this particular paper in direct violation over, of her o- own rules. Over the, over the threshold. <laughs> oh, straight over your own threshold. Sorry, send it back. Um, well, look, we've, we've, uh, we've discussed, I wish we had somewhere an index of everything that was in each individual episode because there's very definitely elements of this that we've talked about before. The first one is, there is so much to know now. There is so much to read. There's always been, unless it was 1608 or some shit, there's always been too much to read and too much to know. We just include one or two tiny adjacent subfields and it's also possible to know everything. When you start digging through any given subject, I mean, look, let's just take... um. Let's just take heart rate variability research. If you read all the stuff on anxiety or emotional regulation, if you really want to understand it, what has to go into the big bucket of things that you must have read? Well, a ton of clinical stuff, a ton of uh, psychoneuroendocrinology, a ton of physiology, uh, a bunch of really seminal uh, animal research from sort of 1950 through 1970. If you want to know what, you know, like where did, where, where do these concepts of stress come from? You know, everything sort of Celia Ford's, um, some behavioral neuroscience, um, and then probably at a molecular level. And then, of course, you need a whole bunch of signal theory, a little bit of engineering, a little bit of signal analysis, um, some practical papers, maybe even one of ours, which try to touch <laughs> on a lot of those topics and where are you now you're swimming in a huge mound of shit this this is this the i i don't think that everything used to be plain and straightforward i really don't think this everything used to be plain and straightforward and easily navigable and at some point in time the internet and over publication showed up and fucked it up for everyone i do not think that's a reasonable perspective um also, because people have been making exactly the same arguments to vastly different amounts of literature for, what, 50, 60 years, whatever it is. So, the point that we've previously made, Dan, I'm going to tell you how about you were clever in the past, so don't interrupt me, because I'm actually going to be nice to you. The point that we've made in the past, and you've made on some occasions more stridently than me, is the problem, the problem is, the problem is a lot of the time that we don't have this stuff curated properly. We don't have the ability, if we have lots and lots of information, there's been a vanishingly small contribution to the ability to navigate large amounts of information, databasing, warehousing, um, various access problems. So your ability to find what you want, the ability to structure everything that's there is a lot of the time the center of the problem. We already know there's too much. There's already always been too much, but there's still only a very small, for the, I think for the vast majority of people who do science for money, there is a very small 
amount of new research that you just must read. People say all the time, ah, I don't read anything new anymore. <laughs> like it was funny. As opposed to like the rest of your life's taken that ability away as well. So the whole idea of, oh, I'm drowning in bullshit, um, feels to me more like a young researcher problem. Unless you're some uh, silly old bugger who's going to write like the seminal review paper of an area and then is forced to read everything. But, you know, if you're going to do something so hubristic, that's your fucking problem, Jack. So... The idea that, well, let's pull it back because we're drowning in bullshit right now, and it's all necessarily unreflective and problematic, is feels feels a bit odd in that sort of historical context. Um, I'm going to add a few more things while I'm on this. That's what you get for asking me for my opinion. It, it doesn't really take into account the idea that there's much less sole author and small group work going on everywhere. There's much more big consortium-based papers. There's much bigger uh, data collections. There's more data sharing. Uh, there's more stuff. And there's also, I think there's more journals because of the way that this impacts impact factors. I think uh, in some fields in particular, there's been a strong focus in the last sort of 10 to 15 years of writing little editorials and writing little commentaries and shit like that, which pump up the journal citation statistics and don't contribute to, uh, don't contribute necessarily to, uh, the amount of published articles in air quotes that exist within a journal proper. So, I mean, yeah, there's lots more of them, but no one's under the slightest obligation to read just what, what some wanker thinks, you know? Oh, here's some cockknocker from the University of Exeter who has an opinion and it goes on for a page and a half. Uh, even if it's on something that I care about, it doesn't go into the big basket of this represents a seminal work that must immediately be read. It, most people feel free to ignore that. It gets a few citations, it pumps the journal metrics up a little bit more, and that's obviously very dicey, and I'd love to take a big swing at it in a paper myself at some point in time, but there you go. There's also, I mean, the whole idea that you've got time-saving tools and that pathways for analysis are now evolving because they're being shared between people. And there's good toolboxes, there's JASP, there's a million things in R. There's a lot of capacity to be able to do complicated analyses more quickly. If you was, let me put it this way, if you're going to do a meta-analysis 20 years ago and you're starting from scratch, how long would that take? Ah, a long time. You'd almost have to- A fucking eon. You would feel like Sisyphus the entire time, pushing a big ball of studies up a hill and then rolling it down the other side as all the manuscripts fell off the ball. You'd be gathering them, you know, frantically running down, redoing your boulder up and over and over and over again. On and on it would go. What would you do today, Dan? You tell me if you're a work group right now. Yeah. Well, you might might as well throw some practical advice and say you'd never done one and it was crucial that you had to Mm. do one. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Go on. You're the one who wastes your time with them. You tell people what you do. <laughs> Look, from a pure practical sense, I'm not going to talk about pre-registration and all that kind of stuff. But the actual nitty gritty of doing it, um, yeah, would, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Okay, so you would you would uh, you you would extract the data from your papers. Um, you would put it in a spreadsheet. 
you would probably work very closely with other people. Um, so two or three, two or three people, two or three people doing the extraction, and you're communicating while you're doing that. You're collating it all together. Um, when it comes to the actual analysis, there's a few different ways that you can do it. Um, I would, I would do it in R using the meta or the metaphor package. Um, but of course, you could also do it in Jamovi um, using uh, Kyle Hamilton's um, a Jamovi um, major module. As a number of ways you can do it. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll post that, um, post all the data because it's already public. Um, and then put it into a, a binder package so that um, anyone can actually reproduce the analysis and they can have a poke around and see it themselves. So it's a lot different than how you would do it, say, 20 years ago. Much, much more easier. Um, and not, not to mention the ways that you actually – Can you? Uh, I just, I'm just thinking about it then. Imagine going to a library and, and, and getting the, the physical journals and thumbing your way through them, getting all the – extracting all the data, making photocopies of the stuff so you could actually do it later. Going to your librarian going, hey, we're missing a journal. Can, can you post the thing in from the university or wherever? You have to wait a week for the thing to come in, then do all that kind of stuff. Imagine the, these things would be in, incredibly difficult. And when it comes to this kind of information overload thing, um, I, 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 don't, I don't buy it because, um, like you said, it's nothing new and things are just going to get much easier. Um, I just signed up to this new um, service. Um, I think it's called Meta. It's supported by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and it's basically it's it's another one where you put in your 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 keywords or your papers of interest, and it'll s- send you a daily or a weekly digest. And tell you what, those papers are bang on. Those recommendations are bang on. So if you want to actually keep your finger on the literature pulse, there are so many ways that you can actually do that when it comes well, to both serendipitous. I, or- I already have three. Three, three what? Three ways of doing that. I have Stork, which is rapidly yes, Stork's good. I like, into I like Stork. My, my favorite one because you get a multi-curated single email. So I have four or five Stork uh, is good. hit words in that. Yeah. I have alerts from Google Scholar. And I have the PubMed mentions mm. as well. Ooh. So if we add a fourth- um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's going to represent, especially if the if the heuristics are good. Okay, so we're talking about at this point in time, we're talking about organizing things better. Mm. Yeah. Now I've got to just just reiterate something that you said there. The other thing you said is um, you'd probably work closely with two or three other people if you're doing your meta analysis for the first time. How are you going to find them? The fucking internet. Will yeah. it be hard? Not really. Why? Because you can look up everything instantly. Find the contact details of the people instantly. Try and talk to them about what they want to do uh, reasonably quickly. Um, they can send you resources that you need to use, which are digital resources. It could be as simple as, oh, use that package with this link. Yeah. Even if someone didn't know all the fiddle-faddle that you just said, it would very easily be located. You see, that idea of when you say that's how it used to work, find the thing, look it up in a fucking card index. A library had one of those when I was a kid. Yeah. um, It's a shitty old library, but I'm not that old. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, imagine, Imagine doing that. Now, sometimes you see people who've got nostalgia for things that are like like that, you know? And it, it's it's cast as, as, well, it used to be a more reflective task. It used to be, uh, I don't buy it. To me, that's people who, it, it's like people who miss the Soviet Union ever when it was really terrible. Like, oh, well, we had a better sense of community. Every, there's, there's words for this, and um, the Polish had a word for it that I can't remember. I've heard the uh, Germans use a word for it as well. Uh, I'm sure someone in 
one or both of those places will tell me what that is. It's nostalgia for when everything was shitty. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes complaints like this feel like that to me. I'm not saying in this particular instance, but often people are like, oh, don't you ever miss? And people say this, don't you ever miss doing your references by hand, a satisfaction of building Never. something? No, Ever. it's a fucking waste of time. Ever. No, no, I'd rather pull my toenails out with needle nose pliers. No, I'd rather try and eat my new computer monitor, which is a extremely unwise 32 inches diagonally. And now realizing just how fucking big that is, like the, the, the eye of science Sauron staring back at me off the desk. Um, no, I don't want to do that. I don't ever want to do anything like that ever again. This is why we have digital resources in the first place. And one of the consequences of all of this is it makes things easier to do quickly. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make uh, other component bullshit of the day go away, but it does significantly simplify the task. A lot of the time, it's not necessarily antithetical to quality or accuracy. So, I feel like that's not that's a Venn diagram where there's some overlap, but it's nowhere near as much as some people think that there is. So yeah? I think so. I think this information overload uh, problem will will eventually be solved. It already is being solved, but it will continually be solved by technology. Um, so let's let, let, let let's move on to the second question that I, that this raises is that which I think is a more important one. Would slow science improve the quality of science. We have briefly touched on this with the, um, the Chaos in the Brickyard episode about 10 episodes ago. And in response to that, I, I got sent a really interesting paper um, mm. by, um, by Leo. It, it's, it's a preprint by Leo Tiokin and, um, and Kimberly Quinn. I believe it's a preprint or it's, it's, uh, it's even a pre-preprint because it's, it's a working paper. It's a working analysis, which was part of a SIPS hackathon where they actually simulated and asked this very question because a lot of people have this conception. It's kind of this, this folk idea that, yes, it, as if, if we just limited people, if people only were allowed to publish three papers a year, four papers a year, five papers a year, then this would, by default, increase and improve the quality of science. Um, and it's this idea that people haven't necessarily looked at this. People haven't looked at this empirically. So they ran some simulations, and they actually found that by doing this, that um, limiting the number of studies won't necessarily improve science. But this is only under the assumption if we were to assume that negative studies aren't worth much. And right now, in our current environment, that is certainly the case. So un unless we magically waved a, a wand and made negative results important. Um, then this idea that um, limiting studies would would would, would improve uh, the quality of science might not necessarily uh, might not necessarily be the case. Um, so I, I think it's important. I mean, this is the sort of stuff which is very very difficult to uh, to do experimentally, but within you can, you can model this kind of stuff, which is what Leo and Kimberly have done. And I'll post a um, a link to that uh, that data there. So I think this is I think this is a really really interesting question because. This is the big thing. Will by doing, if we could somehow do this, whether it's going to happen, the different story, will this actually improve science? If this was a home run guarantee to improve science, and maybe it's something worth seriously considering, but if it's not, then I, I, I don't know. Um, and look, I think that's very interesting, Dan. I'd love to see that this is is this, the podcast is not the right forum to look at the model assumptions that go into something like that. Um, uh, I bet the, the the way that I'm immediately envisaging it, which may be completely incorrect, and you know, 
it's not like I haven't been wrong lots for fun. Um, the way that I'm immediately envisaging is the fact that, you know, if you, if you do a multi-experiment series of bullshit, you simply have a larger conical heap. If you've, if you've made a, a series of mistakes that you're then going to repeat or an analysis that you're going to make larger, or you're collecting multiple tranches of data within the same experiment and, and then just holding off publishing the preliminary results that were going to lead you astray anyway. All you're going to do is compound your folly. Yeah. Um, it, it, it feels like in many respects that it, if you could have it reviewed sooner and you are open to criticism and feedback, maybe you wouldn't commit the entire year to doing something fucking daft. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's accurate as much as it is to say- I feel like it's fair to ask questions like that, and I would read that. We have to get this. I think Kimberly, Kim- are you out there? K- Kimberly is a listener. I know Hello. Leo's li- a listener as well. Hello, um, it is me you're looking for. Can Leo- I read that? Yeah, I'll send it to you. Le- Leo is doing some really interesting stuff. Um, there's another paper which is related to that where he he asks the question: um, What if we were actually to limit the amount of times a, a particular paper could be submitted? Yeah. So imagine that each paper, um, forget about practicalities. Imagine that each paper had a unique ID code, kind of like an OR, an, an, an ORC ID type thing, and that you were limited to actually saying you could only submit this paper four times. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a pre DOI, Dan, isn't it? Yeah. So, so essentially, yeah. I mean, you, 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 you can assign a preprint and DOI, and that's fine. Um, and Leo and his co-authors argue that perhaps by doing that, we'll actually improve. The improve the quality of, 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 of publishing because right now we have this problem where uh, honest signaling is very difficult when it comes to the quality of papers. So, to sort of really roughly dichotomize it, let's assume that a paper is low quality or high quality, one of those two things. Quite often, people will submit their low quality papers to high impact journals. Yeah, an- another bad dichotomy, but, but let, let, let's, um, let's run with it. Um, in many circumstances, what happens is that quite often the editors or the reviewers will actually recognize, aha, this is a low-quality paper, reject, and the peer review system is, is, is working. Um, in other cases, a high-quality paper will be accepted, but what happens occasionally is that a low-quality paper will make it through. Either the, rev- either the author knows this and is taking a punt, or the author doesn't know this and is submitting anyway. Um, and what this means is people kind of intuitively know this, that oh, maybe my paper will have a shot. And by doing this, they're actually submitting their low-quality papers to high-impact journals, which would, would, would get through the publication process. Um, so, what, what this means is, is that this is sort of clogging up the, clogging up the system because people that we have no way of actually having any honest signaling of is this a high-quality or a low-quality paper. Um, if we had better ways of actually understanding this, um, I, I've seen, uh, I saw a service that came out about a month ago, which actually ranks papers on their quality. I'm not sure what metrics they use. I mean, it, it's kind of like a badge system in that, like, is the data open? If it's hypothesis driven, it ha- has this stuff been pre-registered, all that kind of stuff. And by doing that, you can actually figure out much more quickly, or you can get a much more honest appraisal of whether a paper is high quality. Um, so, uh, look, I don't necessarily agree with this idea that um, that fast science is bad science. I would much rather that science is evaluated on its quality. You don't necessarily know how people work. Some people are full-time researchers. They're not doing teaching. You see all this stuff on Twitter. Oh, researcher X has, 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 has published 10 papers this year. Um, I, I cannot do 10 papers in a year. Therefore, it must be bad. And 
Ah, oh, I don't like that. It, it, it's basically saying that because- Well, you don't because you publish 10 papers a year, you fucking hack. Yeah, it's because I don't do any teaching. <laughs> uh, not, not, not this oh. year because of, of paternity leave. I don't think we should be using pace or raw numbers as a, as a measure of this person is, is, is publishing too much. Um, much in the same way that everyone's like, oh, we, we should be judging our papers on their merits. Yeah, of course we should be judging, judging papers on their merits. So, rather than actually judging the speed or the quantity, let's look at the quality of the papers. And of course, this, this is the same old thing. Um, it's much, much easier to look at a number than it is to actually evaluate papers. Um, but re- related to that, um, a, a paper a few days ago, it might be a special issue with um, Trends in Cognitive Sciences, w- was, um, was published as an opinion paper by Michael Frank. Um, and this one's titled N Best Evaluation for Academic Hiring and Promotion. Um, and he, he raises a really good idea that rather than actually having – show us your CV, um, which, you know, is basically a, 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 an exercise in counting how many papers you have. Instead of doing that, um, you actually, d- depending on your career stage or the, the, the purpose of the actual committee, you give us your – your top two, top three, top four, top five papers in the committee will evaluate papers. We're not going to be looking at the volume of, of papers that you have. We're not necessarily going to be looking at the journals that they're in. We are going to be looking at these papers. And might I add, a lot of places are doing this. Um, it's, this, this is quite common within Scandinavia that they will ask you as part of the application, if you make it to the, to the second round, they'll go, send us, include your five best papers. Um, within grant applications, within European Research Council. All, all grants, I've done that, I think, uh, NIH in particular. Oh, so that's the same when thing. You, when you say I've got a, this particular uh, area of work that I'm interested in, um, I think you're allowed to list up to five. Yeah, um, it makes sense for, for five, a level. There might be five, five per area, but it's definitely restricted. It's definitely restricted. This is good. Um, there's, no, there's no question of- you know, append your entire CV as 65-year-old 60, head of a research institute somewhere, wanker. Like, like it's a, everything you've ever done, please, every chip wrapper you've ever saved, every poster you've ever published at the regional bumfuck conference of inverted nipples, whatever, everything. You can't do that. Um, just from the waste of paper perspective, it's just this sort of like it's, it's like playing the seniority card. It's just not all fucking relevant anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, I hope that works. I'm immediately attracted to that idea. I'm sure you have papers where you go, oh, we did that and I'm not sure what it's worth now. And I'm just yeah. niggling questions and I'm not really interested in the topic anymore. Yeah, It doesn't sure. seem to have any pickup. Maybe we could have written it better. And it's just sort of like, it's uh, how many how many brothers and sisters have you got? Two, I've got a brother and a sister. Okay. Older, younger? Both older. Okay. So, it's like being the third child. Um, you just can't bring yourself to have the same, yeah, third child, yeah, whatever. You got third child papers. You don't need to go around uh, showing them to the world every time you're asking for 20 cents. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm fine with it. Just, you see how I did that? That was really funny. I feel like I'm taking my Dan baiting to the next Dan level. Baiting. I'm thinking of going more meta in future. Uh, maybe even You'll having go lift some your game, props. Mate. Some like, props. A, like an eighties comedian. This is why yeah. we're doing a video now, so people can see you, your visual, your, your visual gags. Oh, no, just I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them just to hear you cackling as I'm, as I plan to be horrible to you, rather than um, letting it sort of uh, happen Tr- naturally. Just try, try, mate. 
you, it's it's never going to work. You always you always you always picking away. No, it's not going to happen. No, it's just I think everyone by episode one million and fifty. I think everyone's figured out now. This is just how I talk. This um, is uh, this is I I'm yeah. I, I find it hard. Also, I find it hard not to be fractious when I'm talking about science because things annoy me so much. Yeah. We had a heavy metal podcast. I'd be telling you how good looking you were. <laughs> what 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 else is there? What else is there left to say, Daniel? Um, do uh, you do you find any? Here's here's a, a question I have. Um, I didn't get to ask it before. Do you find any intrinsic appeal to this idea of really knowing, like really seriously investing on the background of any individual? Any individual item. I'm trying to trying to produce an item, a research item, an individual item that you think is of real reflective worth. Do you have, does that have any appeal to you at all? Uh, not a single item. Maybe if you're a, a, a someone who's applying for, for for a postdoc position, then perhaps you might only have two or three items from your PhD, which is fine. Um, the thing that I like about Michael's um, uh, proposal is that it, it opens the door very wide for preprints. Um, inside the actual paper, Michael goes, this is great. You, you can do a- any sort of output, whatever that may be, uh, including a preprint. Um, one is a bit too restrictive. You, you want to demonstrate, or I want to be able to demonstrate that I'm just not a, a one-trick pony. You want to show different types of research that you do. Um, but I think this is the, this is a much way, a much better way of doing things, despite the fact that it takes more time and takes more resources. Especially if you're a department looking for someone who's going to be working with you for the, for, 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 for the next forty years, I think I think it is well worth your time and well worth your resources to, to spend a little bit more time actually reading the work that they're doing rather than making judgments on on their CV where, where, where they published. Um, no, Dan, you just find out how many fancy papers they've gotten, whether and- or not they. Sh- whether or not they play the, the correct guessing game of uh, turning up dressed appropriately for circumstances. Is that how it works? <laughs> that's how you do it. That's all there is to it, mate. That's the, that's the whole game. Are you wearing nice trousers and have you published the right amount of words in the right amount of buckets? And that's it. That's the evaluative process. That's why scientists are known for their their critical opinions and ability to reason. It's exactly how it works. Because they can, because they can fucking count. Look, I, I think I think Uda should be given um, a lot of credit. Um, these things and these changes are just, just basically this this idea that okay, um, it's not all about quantity. It needs to come from 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 the top down, uh, from from senior scientists, from the granting agencies, and I think by by. Doing this using yeah, ant- well, that, that's yeah, that's 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 definitely a thing. Look, the, the other the, the the thing we didn't even bother touching on so far is the practicalities of doing this. I mean, is this okay? Well, we all have a collective agreement that we should do this. Living in this rather overheated world, what's the sort of prisoner's dilemma, Nash equilibrium kind of business that's involved in getting everyone to collectively make a decision? It's not. It's it's no. I mean, for something like this, if this was in any way intended to be read by young scientists who can start changing the way that they behave immediately and carrying the fucking water for everyone else's bad decisions over the last sixty to seventy years of science being a globally organized institutional entity, if it's for those people, I like it a lot less. If it's for the people who hand out money and make decisions of who to hire 
and have the ability to do uh, what 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 the lad did when he started eLife. He's like, fuck it, I'm not publishing in CNS papers anymore. I'm sufficiently fancy. My students are going to get jobs. We're not playing your fucking game. Up yours. I, I, I'm going to start my new, my own new journal with blackjack and hookers. You know, it's a, those. If that's the intended audience of the paper, I'm much better disposed to it than the idea of. Well, all you young scientists out there living in this overheated world, you know you'll it's very likely that you'll face these disadvantages, but don't worry about that. Just, you know, follow follow your dreams right now and eventually you'll be working in a Starbucks. James and I often get asked by listeners how they can support the show, and there are two ways you can do that. Firstly, you can join the 100 other patrons who support us financially on Patreon. We've got a $1 tier, which gives you a monthly Everything Hurts newsletter, and a $5 tier, which gives you the newsletter, as well as access to an exclusive mini episode, which is released every month. The second way that you can support the show is by sharing links to each episode on social media, be it Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever you're using. We'd love it. Now, let's get back to the show. I did read a similar book um, on this idea a few years ago called The Slow Professor. Uh, you said that. Yeah. Look, I wasn't, I wasn't convinced. Um, and the, the, the first review, <laughs> it's funny. When you see reviews on Amazon, quite often the, the publisher obviously p- p- picks the reviews, what goes out there. And the first one was actually um, quite, quite critical because <laughs> it was saying, oh, d- d- despite the criticism that we, we're hearing from, from two tenured academics on how we should actually um, work, work more slowly from, from, from a place of privilege. It's an interesting book. And that was kind of the vibe that I got in that, like, oh, it, it, it was more looking at um, this idea that, oh, it's just, it's how science should be done. It's how research should be done, nice and slow and relaxed. And I'm like, oh, gee, I, 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 it's a very rosy, rosy view of how academia should be done. Um, but look, it, it still is important that senior people are, are, are talking about this. Um, and like you said, if it is sort of hitting a different audience, and that's fine. But 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 for the youngins, for or, or for the people who are more junior in their careers, to hear this kind of stuff, it's, it's just not realistic when you have this um, when you have this pressure. So I'm really glad that um, that yeah, uh, you don't you don't get to choose the job market that you have to go out and navigate. You don't get to choose your external environment. If it's a message to the external environment about what do you value. That's valuable. Yeah. If it's a if it if it's a how to guide for everyone who has to deal with this reality, fucked or inefficient as it may be, then it's a silly message. Yeah, it's just it, um, the, the most immediate. Say say there was a small cadre of people who really believed in the idea of quality and that immediately invested in these ideas as soon as possible. The 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 the, the ten to twenty year upshot of that would be um, a lot of extremely sincere, careful, clever people not continuing to work in science. So that's probably not the intended outcome. Look, I, I think it's much more realistic to make a push for better quality than it is to make a push for for limits or, or, or some sort of ways that you can actually encourage um, encourage slow slow science. If slow science means eventually that it's going to mean quality, that that's fine. But I just don't realistically see how how this how this is going to happen. But I do see a way forward for for quality. I mean, we've, we've we've spoken about it like a broken record. Stuff like registered reports. I think it's hit two hundred and ten journals now. Um, once this becomes the norm in a lot of journals, then quality 
for hypothesis-driven research is going to rise to the top. Any sort of research, just having that transparency so we can better see, get a better idea of honest, honest signaling of what is the quality of this paper, that is, that, that's a much more realistic thing to change because you can sort of pick away like registered reports is doing, journal by journal by journal by journal. It doesn't have to be this thing. Uh, imagine, you, we, we, we touched on this last episode, University A goes, oh, we're all doing, we're all doing slow science. And then <laughs> like, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put people at a massive disadvantage. Oh, we're only going to allow research to, to, to submit uh, five papers a year and we're going to vet them. Um, I don't know. Um, look, bef- before we wrap up, I, I do want to quickly raise this idea with you that I saw online um, about vetting papers that now a lot of institutions uh, are asking researchers. I'm not sure whether this, this is a, bl- a blanket rule for all researchers or whether it's particular researchers who have been naughty in the past. They're, they're actually, um, before they submit to journals, you have to submit it to your to like a quality officer or something. Have you seen this, James? Yeah. Yeah, I've had I've had several discussions about this in the last couple of days because um, one of the Allisons, I think Abbott, there are several Allisons who write about similar uh, things. It's a it's a very Allison centric world. They're all good, so that you know, if there one of them was crap, I could probably remember the difference. <laughs> but I think Allison Abbott wrote a piece for Nature about the growing trend towards, uh, let's say, internal data and methodological quality audits in institutions. Now, the first thing that I noticed was it's very bio- – I've heard of some of this. I know some of the consultant people by reputation. Um, obviously, I know uh, Dr. Bick. Huh? Yeah. Huh? What episode was that? Huh? That was, oh, I don't know, 20 years ago. That was, that was a good episode. Everyone have, have a listen to that was, one. Yeah. Well, she's amazing, so that was always going to happen. That was a good episode in- for me. Interesting to stuff to happening. Shut up and just like, yeah, just tell us all the magical things. Yeah, make us look good by association when I'm done slandering the universe here. Um, the the idea the idea of it is something that was reported in the article. I thought was a the, the very interesting central point of of this being an institutionalized idea was. Individual researchers saying, this actually gives me a great deal of peace of mind. I don't like the idea that I'm putting high-profile fuck-ups into published literature. I don't like the idea that this isn't being seen elsewhere before I'm representing it in public. And pre-printing it or sending it for peer review or anything similar, like sending it to be accepted by a conference, depending on your area, whatever, that is, in a way, letting it out. In some way, all of those are letting it out of the box. But before it goes that far, is there someone who's uninvolved with the project, not fucking Kool-Aid drinking, who's literally a paid head kicker, who'll go through it and say, not, ooh, this is a bad idea, but does is this all internally consistent? Are there anomalies? Has it been naughty? Now, that's probably somewhat expensive. Uh, it depends on the area and how long it takes. I wonder about the access that smaller institutions would have to being able to do that. And the only thing, because obviously, obviously, I like this. It's literally more people doing professional error detection. Part of <laughs> part of my brain is like, oh, I could, I there might be some money in that in future. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably not in biology. What the fuck would I know? Um, but look, the, the idea 
The, the idea that you can outsource, you, you, you can make it someone else's problem and that they're good at it. That's their specific job. It gives them comfort. I like, obviously, I like that. The thing that gives me hesitation about it as an idea is very straightforward. When universities find they employ researchers who've fucked up or falsified or fabricated something substantial, the repercussions of this for anything that's handled in-house are legendarily squirrely. So if you do this at your institution and their immediate response to, oh, he faked all those Western blots, that data can't exist. Um, this is heavily ripped off his 2004 paper. Notice how all these frauds are men. <laughs> that's because go look at the retraction watch leaderboard that's because they are i don't know how much that's tied up in the male ego but in general uh heavy duty frauds are men demographic fact um what does the university do when they catch something like that pre-publication do they quietly retire it and tell you not to be so naughty and tell you to go back and fucking guess again from scratch Ah, I don't trust figures 2A, 2B, and 7. What do you do if you're a dodgy bastard? I think the universities uh, are going to be more pro- would be more proactive. I think a lot of the reason that they are squirrely is because this is a public thing which is, which is already published. Uh, they don't want to lose face. Uh, obviously, no, one, no universities want, re- want retractions, um, but- uh, w- isn't aren't things you, so? You think that they're more likely to be mature adults, yeah, and not just accept of like, oh, my hand slipped when I was assembling the Western bots. Oh, that forgives your your massive duplication. Yeah, but then um, maybe like a, like a warning system. But basically, I think, um, look, I would wager that with people with this sort of image duplication has has uh, people are talking a lot about image duplication now. Yeah, knowing. That you could have that tweet from uh, from Elizabeth going, "Hey, something's a bit suspicious about your image." Much um, that, that that's changing behaviour. No one likes to be shamed. Yeah. So I think if people know, okay, if, if people are thinking about being dodgy, I, I, no, no one has like a, a whiteboard going. Here are our dodgy plans for the um, for, for the month. Maybe they do. I don't know. <laughs> but pe- people, are, I'd love to see your dodgy my dodgy plan plans on a whiteboard. On a whiteboard. Stay- Stage one so, dodgy. Someone comes in and, 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 and you, 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 you reverse you reverse the whiteboard around and you have your uh, your, your non dodgy plans. But the the uh, the underpants gnomes of the academic dodginess. It, uh, that is an image I really didn't need, Daniel. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, if people know that there's going to be an internal audit uh, of their paper, be it for image duplication, because uh, I think a lot of people they see. In a lot of journals that I submit to, um, I, I, I don't do any Western blot images, but you, you kind of see this thing and you, 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 you tick a box going, no images have been manipulated. Obviously, people are ticking that box and not giving a shit, yeah, because there's not any repercussions. People know, oh, you know, journals are very are very hesitant to, to retract papers. No one wants to go through that. We've even seen stuff from editors who have, have been given clear evidence that something dodgy's going on, and their response is basically, oh, what are you, you going to do? Re- research is going to research. But if you have an institution who's going, we're going to check this thing, and if things are suspicious, that, that you know, your, your, your job is on the line, yeah, um, then I, I really think this is going to change behavior. Whether it's a warning system, I don't know. But I honestly think this is going to change behavior. Now, 
I think what what, what we're looking at is is the the extreme edge of the wedge. Hang, hang on, hang on a sec, hang on a sec. This is also going to catch um, people who have without just a, a pure pure accidental inconsistencies typos. They 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 didn't have a minus in front of their their their, their mean. Their, their their p value was a little bit off. And you can actually a minus in front of their p value. No, no, not in front of their mean, not 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 their p. Um, but what you're going to find is a lot of people. You're gonna you're gonna catch a lot of genuine mistakes, and I think this is, I think this is a good thing. And on top of that, if you know that your your paper is going to go through this 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 machine, it's going to be a lot better in the first place. I, I, I'm all for this. I, I do agree though that it's going to be it's a lot harder to do for small institutions, but the bigger institutions, um, th- th- this is a good thing. Um, a lot of institutions already have quality checks for grants. Yeah, so if there's a particular grant, they they basically get you to send it there um, to, to 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 check it. Why not the papers? Mm, why not indeed uh look two things one it seems like this was brought into some of the places where it's been deployed described in the article after they had someone who was doing egregious fuckery makes sense as in it's an immediate response to the fraudy pants which does make it seem down like it, it's a fraudy pants control mechanism. Yeah, okay, good, um, fine. W- well, it's going to – well, obviously, look at this, obvious inconsistencies that are going to waste everyone's time later. Obviously, they get caught too. But it's it's presented in this context at least as a response to malfeasance. Yeah? Do you think – The second thing is I just don't trust institutions to do the right thing when it comes to something like this. I trust them to accept bad explanations and to not tell anyone what happened when they had an investigation. And in a situation like this, no one even knows something's been caught or pointed out in the first place. It doesn't have a public-facing identity, the paper yet. It hasn't been sent to two reviewers who write back and go, it's dodgy. It hasn't been stuck in a preprint. It hasn't been published. Okay. So, when when they don't have to do anything about it, I trust them due to their institutional nature to not do anything about it. Let's take worst case scenario. Um, someone does a bad thing. They get caught. Um, the institution doesn't do anything, but at the very least, they're not going to let the paper get, 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 get submitted. Yeah. So, the quality of- Of course some- not. Yeah, exactly. That's, so, this that's, is a good thing. That's the part that I like, Daniel. What right. I don't like is the fact that if you're a dishonest person who's in that situation in the first place, how are you going to respond to, we caught you being dodgy? They're going to get you're better. Going to back and be a lovely, honest person. We think this, biologists, are, I can't tell you how many times biologists have told me, like, oh, only the really stupid people get caught doing yeah. that shit. Yeah. It's so much. But, yeah, uh, uh, Elizabeth said this in the episode. You know, like you don't have to Photoshop. You just run the right conditions and use a real image of a fake input. What the fuck's wrong with these people? It's an arms race. You know, you want to you want to get it to work. You you want lots of real data that works. Fucking do it on fifteen mice and report six. There you go. Done. Job yeah. done. Yeah. I was. So wonder- then, all the the, the 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 data exists. The notes exist. The background exists. If you want to do stuff like that, and you're not an absolute sick job about it, it's totally possible. We just hope that it, you know, eventually something that's built on that amount of house of sand eventually crashes and burns and people sort of lose their rap. It's perfectly possible to dodge up a fucking million things and not get caught. This is a little bit like the idea of, you know, you send a young kid to prison instead of to reform school or community service or drug counseling or something. And in prison, uh, they, they learn all the really good ways to steal cars. Do you, you know? think, 
you made me think of an analogy that when it comes to, to drug testing in sport, um, they keep blood samples for 10 years' time, for 20 years' time, and they tell the athletes, hey, we might not catch you now, but the technology is going to improve. We're going to catch you in 10 years' time. Um, is it going to be the same thing with error detection, considering the work that you're doing? Do you see that- It already is, Dan. What the fuck are you talking about? It's stuff that we've done in the last five years, talking about papers that are 10 to 15 years old. Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah, but but then is is it going to get? So we we say that like drug testing right now. There's drug testing. There's an arms race of how we can how can we evade detection. Um, so I find a kind of an odd strategy that people are now going. Oh, I've got this way that no one's going to detect. Yet right now they're seeing people are getting caught for stuff they were doing twenty years ago. Is it like no 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 one's going to catch us? Um, but right now we have people who are oh, doing- Oh, you mean is there is there a possibility that things could conceivably improve in future and that observations- So, look, look for, certain me- for certain methods, no, because there's certain things it's totally indistinguishable. Are um, you sure about that? Yes. Okay, that's fine. You're, you're the- you're the thug. Dan, numbers and data and uh, how rude. It's tug. Tug. I'm a boat. I'm a boat, sir. I am a cheeky fat bottomed boat with a, with a jaunty steam stack. And I'll take any shit from the likes of you. I I presented I presented my data tug at, at Amos. I saw that. I think out of all the out of all the funny photos I have mocking my own rather confrontational moniker, I think the tug was the best received. Big, Thank you. Big fan of the tug. Okay, so this this yes. comes back to this fact that okay, uh, you are working with means and averages and images right now because by default data isn't public. If the data was public and the raw data was available, this now you're talking. This would now solve. Now you're talking. This would solve yes. almost everything. So, okay, now you're right because, yeah, the the trick is to be able to deploy that in future. The trick is to have something to work on where you know there's a problem. It's the trick of like, knowing where to look is half the battle, more than half the battle actually. It's most of the battle. And then figuring out the observations that fit in behind how do we find the irregularities that we have a reasonable balance of probabilities to expect here? That's where a lot of our observations have come from. That's where a lot of things that I've criticized have come from. Someone noticed something and they told you. Someone saw something and they told you. Uh, someone has a reputation generally deserved. Um, and then something's recently published and you're looking about for it. And then you start looking a little more closely. That's where it comes from. That's where it starts. It starts with the it starts with a human evaluative judgment, and then it proceeds to that. Now you're saying if I can have access to everything that's living behind the curtain, shit, yeah. I mean, there's 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 so many things that you can do to data that you can't do to any test statistic, any summary statistic, uh, any descriptive statistic, uh, any description of a method, any description of a sample. Um, any table of correlations, whatever else, you have infinitely more possibilities. And if you, yeah, if you try and do something like that, like if you use a, there's lots of situations where if you used a random number generator to make your data, um, there's situations where it would be easy enough to find out that you did that. So yeah, this is um the like up uploaded. Uploaded data, data sharing, data archiving, etc., is has that kind of drug testing aspect to it. That is a good observation, Dan. Have a biscuit. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, look, we're going to make this happen. Um, that, that's why I've, I've spoken about it before. That's why I'm really excited about synthetic data sets because I think it's going to solve a lot of the problems that we have right now. Um, people can't say it's a privacy thing. If you can upload the synthetic data set, um, then people can reproduce your analysis and, and folks like you. I'd, I'd be curious to actually see um, whether the same, I mean, the, the, the properties are the same between synthetic and original. So if there's dodginess in the original, there's going to be dodginess in the, in the synthetic data set. But mm, I, I can. And I don't think we have time to open that box. Let's, Daniel. This, this, is that, this is a research question. I, I can see you're writing something. Is this, is this your, your being dodgy plan, James? It's just out of the frame. No. No, I wouldn't. I you wouldn't would do be, such a I thing. Be, I wouldn't do anything like that. We're we're going to wrap up for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, this um, it, it's it's by the time you're listening to this, it's December. So it is it oh, is. Oh Christ! It's yeah, December. It is December. Um, and uh, you don't even get the Thanksgivings. We get the Thanksgivings. No, we, we oh no, we we don't get that at all. It's like it's like warm up Christmas with yeah. pilgrims. <laughs> it is warm up Christmas. Thanks for listening. We will be back again soon in in two weeks' time uh, with more Everything Hurts. See you later. And we'll judge you right to your faces. No, we won't. We love you. Bye.